0: Well, this morning we are continuing in our Trending Now series where we're talking about the exodus of youth, the trend for young people to leave and walk away from not only the church, but oftentimes their faith. In order to get the conversation started, what I'd like to do is play a little bit of a game. We're going to play a game called Name That Celebrity Dropout, all right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list some clues, and as I list a a clue, a little bit of the puzzle piece is going to go up on the screens, and, and you're going to guess who this celebrity is. You got it? Oh man, I hope that was legal. All right, clue number one. She was born Katie Hudson, the daughter of Pentecostal evangelical ministers. She grew up on only Christian music and unplugged completely from TV. She recorded her first gospel album at 16, and she signed with Capitol Records and with her second album, earned the status of the only female artist to ever have five Billboard number one hits from the same album, preceded only by Michael Jackson's Bad. Katie Hudson is better known as Katy Perry. There you go. Katy Perry has since gone on to become one of the leading activists in the homosexual community. And so here's what she had to say to Marie Claire Magazine a while back. She said this, I don't believe in a heaven or a hell or an old man sitting on a throne. I believe in a higher power bigger than me because that's what keeps me accountable. Accountability is rare to find, especially with people like myself, because nobody wants to tell you something you don't want to hear. I actually don't trust people who start to turn on me because they get scared of telling me the truth. I'm not Buddhist, I'm not Hindu, I'm not Christian, but I still feel like I have a deep connection with God. I pray all the time for self-control, for humility. There's a lot of gratitude in it. Just saying thank you sometimes is better than asking for things. Boy, she's a long way away from the upbringing that she received, isn't she? Here's celebrity dropout number two. She was named Destiny Hope. And was raised in a Christian home where the Bible and church were a regular part of life. Her godmother is Dolly Parton. I can hear it chatter all around. You know who this is. At the age of 11, she began a successful acting career, leading roles in TV and movies. And at the age of 13, she chose to get baptized. And later chose to wear a purity ring as a symbol of her faith and commitment to God to reserve herself for marriage. She later became an award-winning pop singer, and at the age of 16, she became the youngest artist to have four number one albums on the Billboard charts. Destiny Hope is better known as Miley Cyrus. Here's what she tweeted recently. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded, because the elements, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They were created in stars. So forget Jesus. Stars died so you can live. I'm certain that her parents don't feel she's fulfilled the name she was given. Her destiny didn't quite fulfill their hopes. Here's our third celebrity. He was born John Rogers Stevens and was raised in Springfield, Ohio, where he was homeschooled for a portion of his childhood. His family was committed to the church where he played the piano from age seven and sang in the choir until age nine, just after his parents' divorce. He graduated salutatorian and was offered admission to Harvard University and scholarships to Georgetown and Morehouse. However, he attended the University of Pennsylvania where he studied English with an emphasis on African American literature. He worked his way through school as the music director at a Baptist church in Scranton. And he got his big break when invited to play piano for Lauryn Hill and perform vocals for Kanye West. In 2007, he received the Special Starlight Award from the Songwriters Hall of Fame and has gone on to win nine Grammy Awards. John Roger Stevens is better known as John Legend is one of my favorites. I love John Legend's music. Uh, His lyrics are deep and reflective. But John Legend is somebody who's struggled with his faith, especially the more intellectual sides of Christianity. And here's what he said recently. He said, you know, I have my issues with the faith nowadays. I grew up in a religious home, but I'm not religious right now. But I'm trying to get back in touch with the things that were good about the faith that I grew up with. In fact, his song, Show Me, is a song that deals with some of those questions and his reservations about religion. And in Show Me, he says this, Oh God of love, peace, and mercy, why so much suffering? I pray for the world, it gets worse to me. wonder if you're listening. You know, it's not just celebrities that drop out and walk away from the church. In my nearly 20 years of youth ministry, I can tell you stories of dozens and dozens of kids who have not only walked away from the church, but walked away from God altogether. Kids who I've spent hours praying for and weeping over and reaching out to. In fact, recently, George Barna Group did a study on this trend and some of the statistics you saw earlier. But let me, let me capture a couple of these. They published these in a book called You Lost Me by David Kinneman. And within that book, it says this, that 59% of young people with a Christian background report that they had or have dropped out of attending church after going regularly. Well, later on, he writes this, overall, there is a 43% drop-off between the teen and early adult years in terms of church engagement. These numbers represent about 8 million 20-somethings who were active churchgoers as teenagers, but who will no longer be particularly engaged in a church by their 30th birthday. Let me put that in a picture. Let's say that we had 10 middle school students who were engaged in their church youth group, coming every week, maybe even plugged in at at, ministries throughout the church. Take those 10 middle school students, and by the time they reach graduation day at the end of high school, six of them have walked away from the church. And between the time that they graduate from high school and the time that they turn 30, almost half of those remaining kids will also walk away from the church. It's a staggering figure. You know, what I wanted to do was call 10 students up on the stage and demonstrate that by having a number of them walk off, but I couldn't find 10 students to help me out. I'm glad to say the sky is not falling at Christ Community Church. It was because they're all serving in kids' world right now. (laughs) Every single one of the kids I asked, they were either serving down there or serving in the parking lot or uh, gripping backstage. You know, I'm really proud of the youth ministry that we have at Christ Community. I think that we're doing a pretty good job of bucking the trend. But the reality of it is that this is a trend that demands our attention. Because nationally, it's bleak and it's not getting any better. Unless churches like ours take seriously what it means to be a church. Let me reiterate why this is so important. I think this is important because there are dropouts here at Christ Community. In fact, if I was to ask, i bet you there's parents in this room that would raise their hands and say, yep, my son, my daughter, they've walked away from God. They've walked away from the faith. It's something we need to address as a church. But not only that, but the church is the only place that kids are going to get reconnected with their creator, with God, and find a, His purpose for their lives. And I think one of the things that we overlook is that the church is one of God's greatest gifts to us. That we can be a body of believers that gathers together regularly and encourages one another and picks one another up. When life gets rough, we pray for one another and we support one another. We have someone to go to when life is hard. And there are kids all throughout our community that are being bullied and beat up by the world. There are kids who come home to dysfunctional families where mom and dad feud. Where their family is being torn apart by divorce. We've got kids that are questioning who they are and whether or not life is worth living, dealing with depression and contemplating suicide. These are kids that that I weep over as I pray for them weekly. And the only place they're going to find that comfort, the only place they're going to find the answers to the things they're looking for, is within the church. And the only reason they're going to find those answers is if we as a church decide to be the kind of church that God wants us to be. So with that, I want to ask three diagnostic questions. One, why are young people leaving the church? Two, who are these young people that are leaving the church? What are they like? And three, what are we going to do about it? You know, i got to say the reason why kids leave the church is different for every single individual. No two kids are alike. No two students, no two dropouts are the same. But the one thing that's for certain is there's always a push and there's always a pull. There's always something that pulls them away from the church, and there's always something that pushes them out of the church. And the pull is not hard to identify, right? Uh, Kids grow up, and there's the pull of the world. There's the pull of partying and drugs and alcohol. There's the pull of a romantic relationship, maybe sexual pressure. There's the pull of secular culture and secular worldview that is pushed in our schools and our colleges. It's not hard to identify the things that pull kids away from the church. And there's really not a lot that we can do about that. But we can address those things that push kids away from the church. And we're going to address more of those in a little bit. But as we look at what the experts are saying, they're doing a lot of diagnostics. They're pointing fingers. They're saying, you know what, it's the church's fault that kids walk away. The youth ministry is they're not robust enough they're not fun enough kids don't find them meaningful enough there's not enough bible study there's not enough deep theology there's not enough worship there's not enough service and the fingers pointed at the church it's just the youth ministry is not doing its job and then there are those within the church that will point the finger at parents and say no no no, it's the parents fault because the parents aren't doing their job at home they're not living out the faith and being authentic they're not praying with their kids and reading the bible with their kids and serving with their kids the parents need to do more they just need to step up and be the parents that God's called them to be and i got to be honest with you, it's not just the church and it's not just parents. The reality is, parents, you are the church. And church, you are parents. God has called us to be a community of believers that walk together as we pass our faith on to the next generation. Whether you have biological kids or not in our student ministry, you are called by God to make a difference in the next generation. That's what we sang in every single one of our songs this morning. We as a church have this obligation. So the question is, who are these kids that are walking away? In his book, You Lost Me, David Kinneman outlines three broad categories of dropouts. Nomads, prodigals, and exiles. Let me give you a quick snapshot of each. Nomads, you might say, are those who are no longer churched. In other words, the pull of the world was stronger than the pull of the faith or the pull of church. And as soon as they encounter the temptations of the world or something that's a little bit more enticing, they walk away. Because what they experience within the church is just not significant enough to retain them. Too often times, nomads have been given a Bible that's all about drawing lines, boxing people in and boxing people out, determining who's an insider, who's an outsider. More concerned with condemning than including. Katy Perry is our great example of a nomad. And then there's the prodigals. The prodigals are those who you might say are no longer Christian. Not only have they walked away from the church, but they've walked away from God altogether. And for them, most often, it's the push that is stronger than the pull. There are two types of prodigals. There's the head-driven prodigal. And then there's the heart-driven prodigal. The head-driven prodigal, their reasons for leaving the church are intellectually motivated. You see, when they look at the world around them, they look at science and society, they don't find that reality matches up with the word of truth that they get. They find that the Bible just doesn't quite add up on many accounts. And it just doesn't answer their reservations. And then there's the heart-driven prodigals. And the heart-driven prodigals are those who are emotionally motivated. And for them, they've most often experienced some kind of hurt or pain or trauma or loss that causes them to wonder if there really is a God. And the God they hear about at church that's that's loving and powerful and able to work miracles in our lives doesn't quite show up in their lives. And so like the prodigal in Jesus' parable in Luke 15, they determine that God is dead and they walk away looking for something to fill that hole that faith once filled. Miley Cyrus is our example of the prodigal. The last category is exiles. You might say that exiles are no longer comfortable. You see, they feel stuck in between two worlds, kind of like the Hebrews in captivity in Babylon. You see, exiles have a deep compassion for a world that is hurting, and that compassion oftentimes pulls them away. And when they look to the church to see compassion, to experience mercy and grace, they don't see much there. And in fact, as they reflect on the church and Christianity in general, they realize that historically the church has been on the wrong side of a lot of social issues when it comes to things like segregation, women's rights, and how we treat those in the homosexual community. And because their commitment is so strong to things like justice and equality, charity and their favor, especially with the poor, they walk away to practice their faith elsewhere. John Legend is an example of an exile. I got to believe that at each one of our campuses and in an audience this side, there's a lot of people that would say, I've been a nomad. I've been a prodigal. Or perhaps I've got a lot of those same concerns as the exile. I'm not so sure that the faith that we talk about here is really the faith that we live out. I've I've got some struggles. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and figure out what would Paul say about these struggles. What would Paul say are the marks of lasting so while you turn to 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17, let me give you a little bit of background on the book of 2 Timothy. It was actually a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. And Paul met Timothy as he was traveling through Derby and Lystra. We find this unfolding in Acts chapter 16. He runs across Timothy, and Timothy is just this amazing young man, maybe in his late teens. He's got great faith and a great reputation in the community. And Paul deeply desires to invite Timothy to come with him on a mission for Christ, to to plant churches and to share the gospel, but he can't do it. Because Timothy's mother, she was Jewish and a believer in Jesus, but his father was Greek, a Gentile. And because of that, Timothy was uncircumcised. And you couldn't bring an uncircumcised man into a synagogue to share faith or, or to share community, because circumcision was a ceremony that marked the entrance of a young man into the faith community in Israel or for that matter, the the conversion of a Gentile. And so he invited Timothy to be circumcised to join him on that mission. And Timothy was circumcised. And with Paul and many others, they began sharing the gospel throughout the region. And the Bible tells us that the, the, the church grew rapidly because of their ministry and the work that God was doing through them. And sometime later in Acts, we learn that Paul leaves Timothy in the city of Ephesus to care for the young church there and to shepherd the people. And so 2 Timothy is a book, a letter, that he writes back to Timothy to say, Hey, be strong. Continue in the faith. Don't give up. And so I feel that Paul's words to, to Timothy are particularly relevant to us today. Here's what he writes. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think right here in this passage, in this word of wisdom to, to Timothy, we find three marks of lasting faith. Paul says to begin with, there must be a message of transformation. Paul reminds Timothy that the holy scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. They reconnect us with our creator and help us discover his purpose for our lives. How do they do this? By teaching and rebuking and correcting and training. Those are active words that remind us that for the reader and the hearer of God's word, God is always about shaping us and molding us transforming us to be the people he wants us to be. That's the word of God. It's powerful and active, but far too many young people have encountered a Bible that's about drawing lines and boxing people out and making people feel guilty and ashamed. In fact, far too often, the Bible is not a story of transformation. It's a story about being perfect and fitting within a box and conforming to what the church expects. Just be good moral kids what God wants from you. But that's not the Bible at all. The Bible is the story of God's unfailing love for his creation, his undying patience with broken, hurting people, his passionate pursuit of you and me. It's a story that unfolds over thousands of years as God walks patiently with Israel. As God loves his creation so much that he takes on flesh and dwells among us, and patiently endures as the apostles stumble and bumble through their faith. And the story's not done yet. Because the story includes you and it includes me. And God is still at work today. That is the Bible that we teach and read. Pastor Jim has done a fantastic job unfolding that story in his book, Epic. It's part of his Bible Savvy series. If you haven't picked up that series, I want to encourage you to do that. That's a great introduction to reading the Bible and understanding it. But the question I have is this, when young people come into our church, what's the message that they hear? Do we preach the the Bible as it is? And the question is this, do they not only hear a message of transformation, but do they experience it? Are we the kind of church that is patient and graceful and merciful as kids learn how to walk with God and as God works on their lives? They can experience mercy and grace here. You know, a number of years back, when I first started youth ministry, I had a mom come to me and she said, "Hey, can my son come to your youth group?" I said, "Well, absolutely. Tell me a little about your son." She said, "Well, his name is Josh, and um, Josh has been in drug rehab for the last nine months, and I can't afford to keep him there, so I've got to pull him home and." I don't want him to get wrapped up with his old friends, so I want to kind of connect him to your youth group. Maybe he'll be around some good kids, and maybe he'll stay clean. I said, all right. Can you tell me a little bit more about Josh? And she said, well, sure. He, um, he really doesn't want to be here. In fact, he hates church, and he thinks that all Christians are hypocrites. I was like, well, it sounds like a great kid. Love to have him. <laughs> Can you tell me anything more about Josh that might help me connect with him a little, something maybe we have in common? She says, well, he really likes music, and he plays the guitar. I said, fantastic. Would you have Josh come early? We have a praise band, and he can, you know, kind of jump in and jam with us. Would that be cool? She said, absolutely. So Josh came with guitar in hand, and I introduced him to the group, and he didn't really care for any of us. He plugged in, and he learned the music, and he played right along, and he came back the next week, and the next week, and the next week, and Josh continued to come. And he was always pretty reluctant to jump in. He was always somewhere between uh, checked out and quietly observing. Until one day, Josh says, hey Pete, I noticed that the, the youth group prays before uh, we, we practice. The band gets together and we hold hands and pray and everybody takes turns praying. And I said, yeah. He goes, you suppose I could take a turn? You suppose I could pray? I was like, sure Josh, why not? He goes, well, I didn't think maybe God would listen to me. I said, no, I'm pretty sure he will. Why don't you give it a try? So we held hands as a group and Josh began to pray. He said, God, This is Josh. Um, I've been a real dumb person. But he didn't say person. And I've done a lot of stupid stuff in my life. He didn't say stuff. And he went on to lace his prayer with profanity, but confession as well. Confessing some stuff that he had done and things that he'd thought, feelings that he had about us, how he'd misjudged us and how he was grateful that he was wrong because he found that our group was a lot more loving and accepting than he was. And he got done with his prayer, and he said, well, God, that's all I got. Goodbye. <laughs> and the whole youth group was like... <coughs> <laughs> and I looked up and I said, Josh, that was the most awesome, authentic prayer I think I've ever heard. Thank you for praying. And he's like, yeah. Hey, why did everybody laugh? I said, well, Josh, most of us don't usually swear when we pray. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right, man. We loved your prayer anyway. You know, I'm really grateful that Genesis and Mosaic and Crave are filled with messy kids, broken kids, hurting kids, kids like Josh. Because they're not going to find God anywhere else. And they're not going to learn what he expects of us anywhere else in this world. There's nowhere else that's going to love them and patiently walk with them and care for them, and pick them up when they fall. And if our youth ministry ever becomes a place where good Christian kids come and huddle up away from the world, trying really hard to be unpolluted by society, I'll resign. Because I don't want to be part of a group like that. I want to be part of a group where kids like Josh love being. I'd love it if you'd join me in doing that. You know, there's a second mark of lasting faith, and that, that is this. It has to be a mission of sacrifice. When Paul writes to Timothy, he says, don't forget, Timothy, being a Christ follower is not easy. Persecution will come. In fact, everyone who follows Jesus will be persecuted. We see this all over the world, and in Iraq especially lately. Christ followers giving their lives because they believe and follow Jesus. Following Christ is not easy. It will involve suffering. And if it doesn't involve suffering, the gospel demands that it involves sacrifice, that we set aside our agendas, that we set aside our ambitions, that we set aside our comfort, and yes, even our lives for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Do you remember the first thing that Paul called Timothy to do as he followed Christ on mission? He called him to be circumcised. Aren't you glad that's not part of our evangelism strategy or GPS program? Following Christ is not easy. If God gave his son for us, if God took on flesh and dwelt among us, he expects nothing less from us than to give our lives away, to join with those that are hurting and in pain in their suffering, to be sacrificial and loving. In his book, Soul Searching, Christian Smith identifies that the church has been really bad at preaching the gospel. In fact, he suggests that we be, we've begun preaching a quasi-gospel. He calls it moral therapeutic deism. Basically, what he identifies is this, is that most churches have agreed that the, the highest value within the Christian community ought to be that people are moral. Just be good. All right? Fit in this box be, box, be good, look like everybody else, and that'll be okay. That's what God wants from you. And don't worry, because God just wants to make you happy. As long as you feel good and have a good self-esteem, God wants you to be happy. So parents pray, God, I just pray that my kid would have a a great day today, that they'd be happy, that they'd have fun. When it comes to the particulars about the faith, moral therapeutic deism isn't worried about the particulars. As long as somebody believes in God, that's that's good enough. Because faith, after all, is a personal thing. That each person has to work out kind of on their own. So don't press anybody to, to understand doctrine or theology just as long as they have a generic faith in God, they're a good person and feel good about themselves, that's that's good enough. But I got to tell you, that is not the gospel. And that is not the gospel that we teach here at Christ Community Church. When we call people to follow Jesus, we call them to do hard things. We call them to sacrifice. It's more than just a prayer and weekly attendance in a Christian club. Following Jesus demands something from every single one of us who calls ourselves Christian. You know, my friend Josh, he continued to join our youth group for months and months. And then sometime after his first year or so, a bunch of us were heading to a class called Evangelism Explosion, where we were going to learn how to share our faith and actually share it on the street and with people who'd not heard of Jesus. And Josh says, hey, hey, can I come with you guys? And I was like, Josh, yeah, but, you know, we're going to be actually sharing our faith in this class. And... You're pretty outspoken about the fact that you're not a Christian, so you don't really have a faith to share. This is going to be kind of awkward, don't you think? And Josh said, well, maybe, but tell you what, I'll just listen. I just want to be with you guys. Can I just come and and listen? I won't say anything. I said, all right, Josh, that's fine. So Josh came and he listened week after week, maybe three, four, five weeks or so. And after about the sixth or seventh week, Josh comes running up to me in the parking lot afterwards. And he says, hey, Pete, hey, Pete, would you pray with me? I want to be a Christian. I was like, whoa, cool, Josh. Josh what gives? I mean, what, what clicked? Why now? He said, well, I finally get it. As I've been sitting in there, I finally get what this whole Christianity thing is about. I finally get what Jesus did. I want to be part of, of, of the church. I want, to, I want to be a Christian. Pray with me. And I said, Josh, I'd love to pray with you, man, but I'm not so sure you're ready for that. And Josh says, what do you mean I'm not ready? I said, well, Josh, you know, following Jesus is more than just saying a prayer and being part of this group. Following Jesus means you've got to be willing to walk away from your old life. You've got to be willing to give up the drugs and the alcohol. You've got to be willing to give up sleeping with your girlfriend. You've got to be willing to follow Jesus and to do hard things. You've got to be willing to give up your agenda. You've got to be willing to be called a Christian at your high school. Are you really willing to do all that? And Josh says, I am ready. I am. I said, Josh, I'm not so sure. Josh says, dang it, Pete. And he stormed on off. <laughs> My youth group looked at me and they go, were you just messing with him? I was like, no, I wasn't messing with him. So why did you do that? It's because I want to make sure that Josh is really ready. Following Jesus is not not easy. It demands something from us. And, And I don't want Josh to enter into this faith lightly. We talked for a little bit, and then Josh comes storming back up, and he goes, dang it, Pete, I am ready to be a Christian, and to prove it to you, I just smashed all of my bad CDs. And he did. He broke every single one of them. And if you knew Josh and how much he loved music, like there was nothing else he could do than that to say, I'm ready. And so right there, the whole youth group grabbed hands and we prayed with Josh and Josh confessed his sins and made Jesus his savior. And we celebrated that and we watched Josh grow in that youth group. Man, if we're gonna see kids walk with Jesus and stay engaged in the church, it's gotta be bigger than a prayer and weekly church attendance. We gotta call them to something more. Like a while back, Two twin brothers, Alex and Brett Harris, they wrote a book called Do Hard Things, where they challenged young people, young Christians, to do hard things for God, to actually live out their faith. And if you've never encountered this book, high school students, middle school students, college students, I want to challenge you to grab this and read this as school starts. Man, this should should inspire you a ton. But in it, they unfold stories of young people who planted thousands of wells in Africa and raised millions of dollars for AIDS awareness and AIDS research who raised the awareness about sex trafficking and slavery around the globe. And in fact, it was so successful that it launched a website called therevolution.com where young people would log in and share their stories about how they were doing great things for God. Stories of their successes and setbacks and failures and faithfulness. Stories of whole communities and schools coming to know Jesus and being healed because they took their faith seriously. Seriously. You know, I'm really proud to say that Christ Community Church and our youth ministry is a ministry that we challenge kids to do hard things. This last year alone, kids in Kids World and Genesis and House Group collected over a thousand boxes for Operation Christmas Child. They collected thousands of journey packs and pajamas for kids in foster care here in Kane County. There were small groups that went down to LifeSpring and Aurora every single month to care for hurting kids And to give weary moms a break. And the Genesis group here at St. Charles processed over 35,000 cans of food at Thanksgiving last year for the Illinois Food Bank. Now, that was a fun night. Our Crave students give up their spring break every year to go to the inner city of Chicago and to connect with and care for the homeless and to share their faith with them. And dozens of kids in our high school ministry go on go teams to Brazil and Nicaragua and Czech Republic, giving up their summers to share their faith. In fact, this summer I had the privilege of taking my son Caleb with me and a bunch of other young people and their dads to Brazil to share the gospel at the World Cup. And I gotta tell you, there is nothing like watching your kid pray and watch those prayers answered and stretch himself and watch him grow and to share his faith and his story across cultural lines and to watch people come to faith because of it. Moms and dads, if you wanna see your kid grow, In fact, if you want to see your relationship with them grow, make it a priority to take each one of your kids on a go team. There is nothing like it. But when we challenge young people to do hard things, they won't easily or quickly walk away from the faith. There's a third mark of a lasting faith, and that is it must have a ministry in community. A ministry in community. When Timothy receives his letter from the Apostle Paul, Paul starts it off by saying, Timothy, don't forget the example that I set for you. He doesn't get into doctrine. He doesn't get into theology. He says, Don't forget the things that I taught you my life, my suffering, the persecution I endured. Don't forget those those years that we walked together, side by side, on mission with God. That's what it means to follow Christ. Don't forget my example. And I got to tell you, doctrine only gets us so far. Kids need to see the faith fleshed out in real lives. Timothy had not only Paul, but he had an all-star lineup of Christ followers that were helping him come to know what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I'm really glad that my dad made sure that I had an all-star lineup of men involved in my life to help me learn how to walk faithfully. There were guys like Stan and Wayne and Bob and Steve and Jim and Walt and Doug. And the list could go on and on. Guys that were involved in my dad's Bible study and welcomed me in every time and prayed for me and shared life with me and talked to me about real life things that they were struggling with. So I saw how life was played out. These are guys that, that tracked me all the way through college and sent me letters and encouraging notes and care packages in fact, that group of guys actually threw my wedding for me. One of them drove the getaway car, and another guy hosted our rehearsal dinner. These are guys that, that took me personally and made sure that I was going to see what it was like to follow Jesus. Man, I'm so grateful for those guys. You know, here at Christ Community, we strive really hard to maintain a 6 to 1, 6 students to every 1 adult ratio in middle school, and an 8 to 1 ratio in high school. That's pretty good. That's better than you're going to find in any school. But i got to tell you that the experts seem to suggest that we might have those numbers backwards. In fact, in her book, Sticky Faith, Kara Powell suggests that every single kid needs five healthy adult Christian assets in their life to make it from one end of adolescence to the other with their faith intact. In fact, that's a fantastic book. Any of you parents that are looking for a great, encouraging word, I want to challenge you to pick up that book and read it. There's some great stuff in there. But imagine what it would look like if there were five healthy adult men involved with your son's life or five godly women involved with your daughter's life, people that encouraged them and prayed for them and supported them and wrote them notes, showed up when life got tough and celebrated their successes. Imagine what life would be like. You know, my buddy Josh continued to grow in his faith, but he didn't grow the way that you'd expect. You see, Josh wasn't much of a reader. In fact, he despised reading. And he was so ADD that he couldn't get past dear God most of the time in his prayers. (laughs) So a bunch of guys in our group, they took it upon themselves to make sure that Josh grew. There was Eric. Eric shared Josh's love for music, and he spent hours with Josh just playing the guitar and teaching him what worship was all about. And then there was Jimmy. And Jimmy never missed youth group. He never missed a trip or an event or an activity. And every single time, he would make sure to reach out to Josh to make sure that Josh was coming. And then there was John. John was the guy that quietly paid for all of Josh's activities and events and trips in youth ministry because he didn't want Josh to miss a single one. And then there was Sekou, who just listened patiently to Josh as Josh digested life and faith and dealt with the garbage in his life. And then there was Bob, who shared Josh's dislike for reading, and so he bought him the Bible on CD so that Josh could listen to the Word of God on his way to school in the morning. And then there were dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds, of conversations that I had with Josh about faith and life and the Bible. There was a community of people that gathered around Josh to make sure that he made it. And long after I left that church and Josh graduated and grew up, I got a Facebook message completely out of the blue from Josh. And he said, Pete, thanks for never giving up on me. Thanks for investing in me. I wanted you to know that I found a great church in North Carolina where I'm growing and I'm leading worship. God is so good. Josh. You know, I don't share Josh's story because there aren't dozens and dozens of stories of great kids and their faith here at Christ Community, but I share Josh's story because Josh bucks the trend. He's well into his 30s and he's still walking with the Lord. And I truly believe it's because he encountered a message of transformation. He encountered it within a community where ministry was just, in patience and mercy and grace and where he's able to to work out his faith, where he was challenged to do hard things, where faith was more than just a prayer and weekly church attendance. And I pray that Christ Community Church is that kind of church for our young people. But if it's going to be that kind of church, it's up to you and me. It's up to us. So as I close, I want to ask just a few questions. Church, When you talk with your kids, are you helping them encounter Jesus and find themselves in his story? Are you helping God's story come alive in your kids' lives, or are you just expecting them to conform to a set of moral expectations? Are we inviting our kids to join us in doing hard things, sacrificial things, messy things? Things like Second Saturday, go teams, safe families, foster care. Or are we just living the American dream like the rest of our neighbors around us? Are we as adults willing to sacrifice time each week for things like a Wanna and Genesis house group and crave, so that our church might be part of the stories that God is writing in the lives of the Joshes here? And perhaps most importantly, are we willing to be the kinds of Christians? that we hope our kids will be. In a minute, we're going to close with a song called Praise Him. And in that song, we're going to celebrate that God is the God of, of generations and that when we praise Him, we join together as generations committed to following Christ and committed to passing our faith on from generation to generation. And I hope as we sing this song and as we give our offering, that we're thinking about what God is demanding of each one of us, more than just our financial contributions, how will we live out God's story of transformation in the lives of the young people around us? Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a God of patience and of grace and of mercy and that you've sought fit to reach each one of us and to bring us into your presence today. God, we pray that you'd make us the kind of church that you want us to be, that we'd be a place where young people, where all people come to know your message of transformation, where we're able to do hard things and to honor you with all of our lives. May this be a place where people come into community and feel loved and feel your presence. God, we pray that you'd make us that kind of church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.